it's good to be with you. Uh, we cannot wait for the Sunday that we get to gather back together in the same space, but we are so thankful for the gift of technology um, to be able to to be together in worship without actually being in the same space. And, and our prayer has been and continues to be that wherever you're worshiping, that the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful and tangible way and that you experience um, the, the togetherness that is the body of Christ without actually being in the same uh, space together. And so if you uh, have been with us for the past couple of weeks in particular, you know that we are um, in the midst of our, our Lenten series on, on trusting God. And and this is one of those, those times um, when we truly see God's faithfulness and truly see um, the Holy Spirit at work. Months ago, we gathered to, uh, to plan uh, and, and, you know, pray over God. What, you know, leading up to Easter, um, following our series on discipleship, what would you have us consider? What would you have us wrestle with and lean into? And, and we, we felt like, you know, one of those, um, one of the great obstacles to a life of walking faithfully with Jesus is whether or not we trust God or the degree to which we trust God with things in our lives. And and so we're thankful for, for God's leading in that, but now more than ever. Because collectively, you know, months ago when we were planning this, we had no idea that this is where we would be now. And so to be able, each Sunday that we have, you know, been in this new season, this new kind of normal and trying to figure out what it is as a result of the spread of this virus, to have the opportunity to consider what it means to trust God, to trust God's leading to trust God in the silence and this morning to consider what it means to trust, um, to trust God's way. Uh, and, and to say that we are in a season of challenge right now is an understatement. And, and I realize that as I say that, I'm not a person who's, who's in healthcare and I'm not on the front lines of, um, you know, of, of trying to care for people and also look for, for ways for us to get on the other side of that. But all of us are, are trying to figure out what this new normal looks like, right? All of us are facing challenges that we haven't, necessarily faced before. Parents who have never given a second thought to homeschooling are trying to figure out what it means to be a parent, uh, to be an educator, and really what, what they're trying to do is to figure out how to help kids engage with what um, our incredible educators, amazing educators, have worked so hard to make available for their students online. And we are so thankful for them. And Hey, listen, parents, we know um, this is, if, if this is not if you're not used to this, this feels like one of the biggest challenges that you uh, have faced. Um, and, and those are conversations that we're having with people. Um, people are facing challenges around uh, work. Maybe you've been used to you know, traveling for a living and all of a sudden now you're sidelined. Um, and at best, uh, you know, for, for many, the um, you know, income feels shaky. But, but for a lot, there's just been a loss of income altogether. Um, and so we are trying to figure out how to navigate uh, this new season of challenge and that, that we have uh, that we've never um, faced before, and and it's not to say that we haven't faced challenges, right? We face challenges all the time: challenges in relationship, challenges, yes, around finances, worry about the future. But one of the things that um, that seems so unique about the season that we happen to be in is that there is so much unknown in it, right? We don't know um, how long this will be. We don't know what the end of this uh, looks like. We don't know, you know, what the weeks to come are going to hold. And so it's that unknown um, that leaves us, yes, fearful, um, but also trying to figure out how to scrape our way uh, through this. And, and the question for us becomes, as we are, as we are walking through this, this season of, of challenge, um, the reality um, that we are, are, are dealing with and, and trying to face as, as we're, is, is how, how do we walk through this faithfully, 
Because unless you are the type of person who's training for, um, you know, some athletic event that you're doing, unless you're an athlete, like unless that's your life, we tend to try to avoid challenge. And, and you might say, well, I'm a person who exercises, but my wife gives me a hard time all the time. She's like, you, your problem is that you exercise to eat, um, you know, rather than exercise to live. And I'm like, that's probably true. So, so we don't, we're not accustomed really to pushing ourselves into like willingly enter into challenge. And so when we face seasons of challenge, our tendency is to want to just get through it, just get to the other side of it. And, and we, we tend to become really good at trying to find shortcuts, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the worst at, you know, if, if you know, Google um, Maps tells me to go a certain way, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I know a better way to go. I don't know the better way, but, but yet my tendency is that there's got to be a shortcut. There's got to be a way that I can get to the other side of this. And yet this particular challenge feels like there are no shortcuts, right? And, and so we are left trying to figure out how to live faithfully uh, in the midst of it. And, and we want to be on the other side of this. Don't, don't mishear me. Um, we, are, we, are, we are praying for God to, to move in ways that only God can. We are praying for those who are working to find vaccines. We are praying for those who are working to, to bring healing and, and health uh, to people. We're praying for our, our leaders in this time. We, we want to be on the other side of this, but one of the things that if we're not careful and kind of wishing our way through this, if we're not careful, then we miss the significance of what God might want to do in the midst of this and how God might want to leverage this and use this for his glory, yes, um, for, the, for the, you know, the church and the building up of the church, but also for the ways that we might grow and the ways that we might be challenged. And so rather than just try to push through this or just kind of bury our head in the sand and, and wait until this is all over, what if we gave God permission to, to teach us what it looks like to live faithfully and to trust his way in the midst of a way that seems um, completely unknown for this. And as we consider that this morning, what it means to, to, to trust um, God's way, what it means to live faithfully into that, we're gonna look at um, one of the stories of Jesus that is, that is really on in, it's actually kind of the, the moment between his baptism and when he begins his ministry. And it, it's the story of Jesus's um, trial and his temptation uh, in the wilderness. And, and one of the things that we see in Jesus, just to say this um, at the outset, is that Jesus doesn't approach this trial just trying to get through it. Um, Jesus approaches this with a laser focus on who God is, who the Father is, and, and who he is as one who belongs to God, and that, that dictates how he walks through this. So look at, let's look at uh, Matthew. We're going to look at this account in Matthew's gospel. It shows up also in uh, Luke's gospel. We've chosen Matthew this morning. So we'll look at Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 1. I'll read verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, naturally, right? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will con- command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that in the midst of this this season when when fear seems uh, rampant, when things are so unknown, we thank you that we can trust you. God, we pray that as we consider your word this morning that it would be for us living and active. God, that it would reach into our hearts, that we would find encouragement in it, that we would be shaped by it, that it would challenge us to be more like your son, Jesus. We ask these things in his name for our good and for your glory and for the benefit of this world around us as we seek to be a witness to this hope as a church. Amen. So if we were to back up and and look at what takes place um, right before this, we see this Jesus' baptism right at the end of Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. That's verse 16. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And we hear these words from heaven. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So the father has just made this pronouncement on Jesus. He's affirmed him. He's made this, like he's made his his affection um, and his pleasure with who Jesus is known. And we know that Jesus didn't have to step into the waters of baptism. It's not because Jesus needed to be cleansed of some sin. It's, it's Jesus' way of saying, I know, right? I know your weakness. I, I know um, that you are going to try to figure out who you are by trying on a bunch of things that you are not. Um, I, I know that you're going to lose yourself to those things. And, and it's Jesus' way of identifying with us in our weakness, And Jesus' way of showing us what it looks like to step into something more than just our own uh, individual pursuits. And yet it seems so strange, and I love the, Matthew says that Jesus is led by the Spirit. Luke says that Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. Since we have to ask this question, if God is so pleased with Jesus, like why, why then is this what happens in, in what seems like the very next moment? That as soon as Jesus comes up out of the water, now Jesus is, is in this place where he's facing temptation. And one of the things that's helpful for us to understand is that we, we read that word in a lot of translations as temptation, but, but trial or testing um, is probably a, a more helpful way for us um, to understand that. So if God is pleased with Jesus, why would he send him to a place to be tested? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as God's son. And we know that Israel just wavered in faithfulness. Like their entire journey is kind of wandering in and out of faithfulness to to trust in God. And so now in Jesus' arrival um, comes the son who is going to show us what faithfulness looks like and who is going to show us a new way um, of of walking with God. And um, so, you know, here's here's something I I want to make clear. What, What we are not saying is that this pandemic is something that God is doing to us, right? God is not proving our faithfulness by, by making this thing happen. We, we believe and we know that we live in a broken and fallen world. And one of the realities that we have to deal with in that, when sin entered the world, things were broken. And one of the realities, one of the results of that is sickness and is disease. And yet what we see all through Scripture is that um, God is able to take horrible circumstances and redeem them and use them for His glory and use them for our good, and use them for the advancement of his kingdom. And so that's our hope, and that's our prayer in the midst of this, in the midst of this situation that none of us have, would, would wish on anyone. 
we believe that God uh, is able to be at work. But before we go further, it, so there's, there's the Holy Spirit who, who leads Jesus into the wilderness. There's Jesus, but then there's a third character in, in this passage that we tend to not want to talk about, right? Uh, and so I'm gonna let Lori Beth tackle uh, the devil. I, that's a great setup, right? If you just Thanks. go ahead and handle that, then that'd be great and we can move on. But you know how we could handle this because we're both Tar Heels, right? Yes. So yes. we've tackled a few devils we have, before. We have, yes. Um, those blue devils. Um, but it is, uh, it is an, I think, important for us to pause, stop, and make sure we are clear about what we're talking about or who we're talking about because we do have so many images and understandings of, it's, it's a loaded term, who is the devil? We joke because the, the blue devils have this caricature, blue or red, of like the pitchfork and the pointy tail. And, and some of our images of, of the devil or Satan come from literature and some are biblical and we mix it all together. If you notice, while Vern was reading the scripture, three different words are used to refer to this character. The tempter, the devil, and Satan are all three used interchangeably to to talk about this character. And so let's just take a moment to understand who it is we're talking about. So in the Hebrew Bible, the understanding in our Old Testament is Satan was like this intense prosecuting attorney. So if you think about Job, you, we, we see that Satan was part of God's royal court. And Satan's job was to actually go and test people to make sure they were living up to God's will. And so he had a very specific purpose. But by the end of the New Testament, our concept of Satan or devil, uh, especially from like Revelation, is as a fallen angel from God's court. And this fallen angel has gone rogue. And his purpose now is to tempt humanity, to tempt people towards sinfulness and away from God's kingdom. And so our understanding of the devil, both then and now, I think this absolutely applies to right now, is that we use this word devil to personify evil. It helps us to wrap our head around who or what evil is. And this evil as this understanding of this cosmic force that is much greater than our own propensity to sin. Every one of us has the natural tendency to sin, to break relationship with God. But this is more. Uh, Cosmic forces uh, of evil are on the outside working against us, drawing us in, different from our own sinfulness inside. And so when we talk about the devil, then this is our way of wrapping our head around these evil forces in the world. And so this story shows this this great battle between Jesus and um, the devil. And if you think about it, Actually, the whole rest of the, the, the gospel story, Jesus' ministry, he is either battling the cosmic forces of evil or humans' uh, tendency for sinfulness. And so we can learn from this example of how we can, in fact, resist these influences that pull against us. So, so when, we, when we say to somebody, you're the devil, right, that... 
we might be being a little unfair. Right. Or the devil person. made me do it. Right. It's it's a caricature that takes light of these forces that that work within us. So yes. Yeah, and that's something that we don't want to talk. We don't like to talk about like the spiritual realm, but it's a it is a reality, right? We are a part of a bigger story that's playing out, and and so I love that. It, when we look at these temptations on the surface, right, the temptation um, to turn stones to bread, we're going to talk about each of them, but the, the temptation for, for Jesus to, to prove God's faithfulness to him and then the temptation to, um, you know, to have authority and dominion, um, we kind of look at those and on the surface we say that, I mean, they're, they're not, they seem kind of innocent. Like they're, they're kind of innocuous temptations. They're not, you know, we, we tend to define like, you know, as long as you don't, you know, do like these whatever they are, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't, you know, whatever those things are, we tend to think as long as we're not doing those things, we're okay, right? But what's happening here is we see this like tug of war between God's kingdom and between the kingdom of this world. And that's where we tend to find ourselves caught. And, and it's a question of, you know, which kingdom are we going to align ourselves to? And so many of us, and the reason that, that I think our faith sometimes can feel so exhausting is because we try to live with a foot planted in both worlds, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so let's look at, at, at these three. Uh, so the enemy, the tempter, uh, begins by um, saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, so first of all, he questions his identity, right? If you are the Son of God, if this is who you truly are, then you should be able to be fed, Right? Take these stones and turn them to bread. And, and you know, many of us right now are like, I, I would love to be tempted by that. Like, I'd love to be able to take stones and turn them into bread because, you, you know, based on what's happening right now, it seems like people are living on milk and egg and hand sanitizer sandwiches because those are the things that you cannot find um, in the store. And so we'd love to be, <laughs> we'd love to be, um, you know, tempted by, by that. It seems innocent enough, except what we have to realize is that the, the, the enemy, and, and this is how he tends to operate in our own lives. He is, he's meeting Jesus at the point of his greatest weakness, and that's his hunger, right? Now, before we go further, one of the things that, that allows and helps Jesus to, to follow God's way in this is that Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting, so he's not spiritually weak. We understand from Scripture and from our own, you know, the practices of the early church that have been handed down to us is that one of the ways that we draw closer to God is by fasting, right? Um, to kind of strip everything else away and use that as an opportunity to really lean into God and to listen to God. So, so it's not that Jesus is spiritually, spiritually weak here because he's just fasted for 40 days. He is laser focused on, on who God is, who he is, and, and the path that's set before him to walk. But the enemy, because he's clever, knows the place of Jesus' weakness to begin is gonna be his stomach right? <laughs> Take these stones and turn them to bread. And that doesn't seem wrong. In fact, a lot of us right now are like, yeah, carbs are my best friend. I, you know, I, before all this started, you know, I tried to be careful about that. And, and now it's just something that's comforting to me. So, so one of the things that when the enemy um, does when we're tempted in this way, yes, meets us in the point of our weakness, but also takes things that are not inherently wrong and, and, and twists them and presents that to us in hopes that, that we will realize that maybe we can find satisfaction in those things. Wouldn't be wrong for Jesus to make bread and eat bread, um, but for Jesus to choose that over what God determines is best for him, right? Or to make 
the bread the goal or to make whatever it is that you, you know, like the enemy tempts you with, to, to make that the thing that is ultimate, you know, in your life. Um, and, and there are so many examples of things that are good that the enemy just kind of twists enough to make that our ultimate pursuit or our ultimate goal. Um, you know, if you're a parent, you want, you want the best for your kids and you want, you know, health for your kids and you want them to, to have all of the opportunities in the world, but, but that's not ever meant to be our ultimate goal as parents. The pursuit of who God is is meant to be our ultimate goal because then that dictates how we parent, right? Or who we are in relationship. You know, your significant other, that's never meant to be your ultimate. And yet the enemy takes this thing that is not inherently wrong and twists it so that that becomes the thing that we chase and that we pursue. Um, and and you know, so for you, like what is, what is your ultimate? Is your ultimate God in your life? Or is your ultimate something else? And in this season, what do you find yourself gravitating toward or reaching for to satisfy you, right, and to fulfill you? And maybe for some of us, it's just to numb us from, you know, from what's happening and what we're walking through and what God might want is for us to feel that longing and to feel that hunger uh, and, and to do so in a way that what we're reaching out for is him. Uh, there's this, this saying, Jesus uh, plus nothing equals everything. And Man, what a, what a powerful and really a hopeful statement. But do we live like we believe that's true? You know, give me Jesus and, and really whatever else he would choose to give me. And that's all I need. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when, I was, when I was thinking about this, I thought of um, maybe one of Steve Martin's greatest uh, character, Navin R. Johnson, uh, <laughs> in the movie The Jerk. And, and there's this scene in this, in this movie, uh, I'm not suggesting you go watch it, <laughs> However, there's this scene in this movie where he's having a falling out. He, he's achieved all this success. He's having a falling out with this significant other, and he decides to storm out. And he's saying, I don't need you. I don't need anything. Uh, and he says, well, I'm going to go then, and I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff, and I don't need you. I don't need anything except this. And he picks up an ashtray. <laughs> and that's the only thing I need is this. I don't need, I don't need this or this, just this ashtray. And this paddle game, this ashtray and this paddle game, that's all I need. And this remote control, the ashtray, the paddle game, and the remote control, and that's all I need. And these matches, the ashtray and these matches and the remote control and the paddle game, that's all I need. And this lamp, the ashtray, the paddle game, and the remote control, the lamp, and that's all I need. And that's all I need too. I don't need another thing, not one. I need this, the paddle game and the chair and the remote control and the matches for sure. And this, and that's all I need. The ashtray, the remote control, the paddle game and this magazine and the chair. And I don't need one other thing except my dog. And the dog growls at him and he says, I don't need my dog. And so he's, he's, he, you see him walking down the street like laden with all this stuff that he said I don't need. And I wonder for how many of mm-hmm. us do we, like we want God to be the only thing that we need. And yet we try to add all of these other things to it because we want we, we believe that those things will satisfy us. And so often, it is because we don't want to walk through the process of challenge. We don't want to walk through trial. We don't want to walk through the process of suffering. We're afraid of how it may make us feel. And, and that, so that's, the enemy comes in in the next temptation. You know, he takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple and says, if you throw yourself off, um, the word says, and I, you know, the enemy's clever. He comes at Jesus with the word, and it's a twisting of the word, but he comes at Jesus with Scripture 
And, and he says, you know, the scripture promises, the word says that if you throw yourself off, then he'll send his angels and they'll protect you. And, and so what he's, what he's doing is he's offering an opportunity for Jesus to elevate himself, um, but he's also offering an, an opportunity to do so without experiencing suffering and without feeling pain. And, and somehow along the way, we have come to equate a life of following Christ as a life that's meant to be easy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's never what's promised. We're, nev- we're, we're promised peace in the midst of trial. We're promised that God will comfort us, but not that we'll be comfortable. Right. Those are two totally different things. Um, and, and so I think that what we see here in Jesus, you know, again, taking Scripture and, and saying, the way that he chooses to respond is, is to say, you know, Scripture also says, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. You know, we tend to sometimes knowingly put ourselves in situations where we trust that because God loves us, he's going to get us out of it. And God is always faithful. I mean, we, we prove that again and again um, in our lives, and we, we see it, you know, played out in, in Scripture. But I wonder if we, if we miss the opportunity to truly understand something about who we are, and truly understand something about who God is because we are not willing to allow suffering to happen in our lives. And yet right now, we are forced into a season where things have been stripped away. And we can't do anything about it. And we, we are forced to walk through it. And the question is, are we willing to feel the sting of want? Are we willing to feel the sting of suffering? Um, or are we going to numb that and, and push it away and try to shortcut that? And, and try to, you know, maybe we grab for all of these other things um, that we hope will fulfill us and that we hope will help us to, to get through this when what God wants to do is to reveal something about who he is in the midst of it. Um, and the final thing, and, and I'm, I'm excited about the way that um, Mary Beth is going to um, really invite us to think about what this means right now. But the, the final thing, and just real quick, the, Jesus is tempted to shortcut the process by which um, he's, our, he's going to receive what's been promised to him, right? The enemy says, if you will bow down to me, takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down to me, then all of these can be yours. And right here, he's testing Jesus' allegiance. We are inherently worshipers, right? That's what we are created to worship. And we are always worshiping something. You might be saying, oh, I'm, no, I'm not, a, like you don't want to hear me play an instrument or sing. And, and we have to get beyond that as our understanding of what worship is. Worship is giving our affection and our attention to something. Mm-hmm. We all worship. We all worship something. The question is, who and what are we worshiping? Who and what are we giving our allegiance to? And, and Jesus is tempted here to, to bow down and worship the enemy in hopes of receiving all of the kingdoms of the world. At the end of Matthew's gospel, at the Great Commission, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to Jesus, not because he shortcut the process, not because he bowed down to um, a lesser being, but because he chose to be faithful to the suffering that was in front of him. He chose to be faithful to God's way and not to choose the shortcut. And so I wonder in this season, like what are those shortcuts that we might be choosing and missing out on, you know, what God might want to do. Right. And so, so maybe this is the time where we pretend like this is a confessional booth, right? Yeah. And then we offer what are you the temptations? First. You tell okay. me your temptations. Hey, okay. and all of you online, if you yeah. want to go ahead and do that, just <laughs> put those in the comments, Pastor Jeff, you know. Um, just joking. Right. Don't just, do that. 
ignore all the hundreds of people that would be reading your deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, but the reality is we are all faced with temptations and tests. And that is a part of life. And I think sometimes we think we can outsmart it. Mm. I, I think we believe we, we were the, the smartest created creatures and that we can handle this and that we can uh, overcome on our own these tests and temptations. And it reminds me of a, a story about fishing. I don't fish, you do. Um, and I so can't you, wait to hear this. Yes, you can tell me if there's any, uh, any, any truth to this, but um, I do love John Ortberg and he shared this story in uh, his book, The Me I Want to Be. And he was talking about when he and his wife were learning how to fly fish. So they had some guides that were helping them. And the guide said, you need to think like a fish. And that fish essentially have one mindset. They want the, the maximum gratification of appetite for the minimum expenditure of energy. Right. So it's, it's, that describes some, some of us, right? right? We want that maximum like food, calorie input with being as lazy as possible. And so a fish thinks, there's a fly. I want a fly, I eat the fly. Like they're not thinking in terms of uh, higher level, like, like, like the girl carp is not saying to the boy carp, hey, um, I just don't think you're into this commitment like I need you to be. Like, I'm afraid you don't love me for who I am, but you love me for just this body. Like <laughs> fish don't think that way. It's, 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 they are stomachs, mouths, and eyes. And so as John Ortberg was uh, going along the afternoon, he realized fish are dumb. Mm. They're really dumb. And he began to think about this fly fishing process and began to, 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 to create the scenario. It's like, yeah, go for it. Come on, come on fish, go for it. Yeah, you think this, this lure is real. You think that it's gonna gratify you, but it's not, it's not. In fact, if you look closely, you really should be able to see the hook. And you should know, based on what's happened to your friends, that if that hook gets in, that then all the enemy's got to do is reel you in. It's just a matter of time. And, and when we think about it, you know, the fish, it's like, oh yeah, the friend that gets snatched away that never returns. And we talk about fish that swim in a school, but they never learn. Mm. And so aren't we glad that we're smarter than them? But are we? Right. But are we? I think a lot of us, we see that lure, that fake lure, and it is so tempting, and we don't look close enough to see the hook. And before we know it, we are hooked, and it's just a matter of time before the enemy reels us in. And it, all of this is to say that this is not easy. I mean, we all deal with these temptations and they can come from without and they can come from within. They can come from both places. And I know personally, uh, what I, one of the things I reflected on is with Lent, I normally take things on, but this year I gave some things up because I really just was not happy with my diet and exercise re regime in the beginning of the year. And so I've given up processed sugar. Oh my gosh, especially the first couple of weeks, it was amazing how my brain and my body, every once in a while would just align itself. And that's all I could think about. Hmm. 
oh my gosh, I want some sugar. Where are some cookies? I want some sugar. I only gave in one time, so I'm proud of myself about that. But what I learned from that is sometimes these urges are biological. Like they, they feel biological that will take us off of the path that we're trying to be disciplined on. And they can be very powerful urges that we are being tested and tempted by. Um, and, and I wonder if you've had some struggles or tests that you've been wrestling with recently. Well, I wanted to say something to that. I think that, um, you know, it's not that we don't want to be faithful to that mm-hmm. conviction, right? It's not that we don't want to be faithful right. to, like, to following the way that God has laid out. Sometimes we just feel like we need a timeout, mm-hmm. right? We just want to hit the pause button on trying to be faithful or maybe think the like pressure's gotten to us and we just want to escape a little bit. Right. Um, you know, for me, it, it's actually been more internal. One of the things I've really wrestled with and struggled with in this, in this season is, um, is around identity. And, and some of us um, talked about that this morning uh, as, as we were gathering and preparing to begin. And um, I, I know, like on my best day, I know that I'm a child of God. And that that, like, that's, that's enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but not being able to, I mean, I'm, like, I still get to be a part of opening the Word, you know, with you on Sunday mornings. But, you know, we're preaching to a room with four or five people in it. Um, and so there's been this kind of identity, like, man, have I, has my identity been found in what I do? Or do, is my identity truly just who I am as a child of God? Um, and then, you know, yes, I, I found myself asking the questions in this time, like, am I doing enough for my family? Am, am I giving my wife the help that she needs? And, you know, tackling the school stuff with the kids. And, and so a lot of self-doubt, I think, is, is probably the, where I find myself being, um, you know, tempted. Or not, I mean, not even tempted, just like the, the question tested. for me that, that yeah, tested, that, that really resonates in the beginning is if you are the son of, if you are this, mm-hmm. you know. That's where I feel like this, this has hit me. Mm-hmm. Thank, thanks for sharing that. Well, as we all face these tests and temptations, uh, one of the things that I learned from looking at this story with Jesus and the devil is that uh, it was because Jesus trusted God so much. Mm. He trusted God so much that Uh, he didn't need to ask God for some miraculous intervention to help him with what were very human problems. And this is a beautiful example of the the divine and human aspect of Jesus. He leaned into the humanity here and did not depend on the divinity to, to save him. And so I wonder, do we trust God that much? Because I know when I get into really difficult situations, there are times when I'm asking for the miraculous intervention and I'm not Jesus, right? Like I don't have that, that power. And so I do uh, wonder if we have that much um, trust. And so it takes me to the, the story from Paul as we get ready to wind this down. There's a place where Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, uh, that chapter, he's talking about this thorn that he has. It is a, we don't know exactly what it is, he never tells us, but it is a chronic pain or an illness that he wrestles with his whole life. And at one point he is praying to Jesus about this. And Jesus answers him very clearly. And verse 9 says, my grace is enough for you is sufficient for you because power is made perfect in weakness. 
And then Paul goes on to say, and so I will lean into this weakness. I'll brag about my weakness because that then allows Jesus to shine. That power then becomes perfected. And in our moments of weakness, God's grace is enough. And so when we're in these places of being tested, uh, to be able to lean into God's grace, I think, is a way in which we can, um, like Jesus, withstand the temptations. But Henry Nouwen makes, says this another way, in a way that I also think is helpful for us to wrap our heads around. In an interview, he said, I cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there is something 10 times more attractive to choose Saying no to my lust, my greed, my needs, and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. And the only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes. One such thing I can say yes to is when I come in touch with the fact that I am loved. Once I have found that in my total brokenness, I am still loved. I become free from the compulsion of doing successful things. And for now, and being successful was the temptation that he was struggling with. And that's just another way of saying that God's grace is enough. So like Vern said, this is a time of testing. And I do, um, I realize that as beautiful as technology is, and as wonderful as ways we've been able to connect, there's some challenges that come with that too. And there's some temptations. And there, I pray for folks that are spending so much screen time that maybe they are wrestling with some addictions that they have at looking at things they shouldn't be looking at or online compulsive shopping or social media that can tend to tear us down and make us feel bad rather than building us up mind, body, and spirit. And so now in makes this point that we, we, we need to lean into something that is more compelling that we can put our energy into and say yes to God's grace and God's love for us. So we don't have to spend so much energy saying no, 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 no. And I, I truly believe that that is God's way, that when we say yes to God's grace, we say yes to God's kingdom, we say yes to God's love for us in our brokenness, we say yes to, to God's word in our lives, we are saying no to the temptations of this world that try and draw us in. So we need to, to wrap this up so yeah. we can. Yeah, I just want to, just two scriptures to close with, because I think that, you know, to ask this question, well, how, like, how do I do that? Um, because for many of us, the roadblock is knowing that we've given in to temptation where Jesus was faithful, we are not. And so we, we carry around this guilt and shame. The first is know this. Um, this is from Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. And you could insert, you know, neither this giving into this temptation or this sin or this weakness or whatever. Um, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there's nothing that you can do to put you outside of the reach of God's grace. So first, know that. And then I think as we are considering what it means to walk in God's way, and, and people are like, well, how, I want to do that. How do I do that? Well, begin by making that a part of your prayer life. Asking God to, to stir your affection for him and change your heart. And I'll close with this from Psalm 51. This is um, you know, part of David's prayer after he's realized that he has um, fallen into temptation. He says, God, create in me a pure heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So the first thing is admitting that we're weak, right? God's perfect has made power in our weakness and admitting and confessing our weakness and then asking God to restore to us the joy of what it means to be his. Listen, our prayer for you in this time of testing is that you will experience God in ways that you never have. Um, and that God will use it to shape who you are and who we are as a church. And we believe that God is going to have the day. He's going to be victorious, but we are invited to walk through this season right now, trusting him, him and allowing him to work. Amen.